You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. This morning we are kicking off a summer in the Psalms. Uh, And Psalms, it's right in the middle of your Bible. Uh, You can go ahead and turn there to Psalm 19 is where we'll be today. Uh, Psalms is a book of songs for the people of God. Uh, Psalms is this book that's meant to both shape our worship of God, uh, but also to form us, to shape us as worshipers. And in doing so, uh, Psalms both informs and validates the human experience. The Psalms teach us not only the truth about God and the truth about ourselves and the truth about this world that God made, uh, they teach us how to feel the truth. As the people of God, we, we reject the myth that whatever we feel is true. We reject that myth that's actually believed by, by many people in, in this cultural moment. That we, we believe we are not controlled and driven primarily by emotion. At the same time, we don't ignore or suppress emotion. Emotion is part of what it means to be human. God feels. We, we see throughout Scripture, God is a God who feels things. He has emotion. And so as his image bearers, so do we. So do we. So to ignore or to suppress that is actually to live a subhuman life. Over the coming weeks then, we're going to consider fear and joy and pain and gratitude and lament and other emotions like that in the Psalms. And I really hope that that blesses us and refreshes us as a, as a church family. I also hope it further forms us into faithful, fully human worshipers of the one true God who know increasingly how to feel the truth. And we're going to kick things off this morning by looking at at Psalm 19. In order to feel the truth, we need to know the truth. And in order for us to know the truth, God must reveal the truth. God must reveal himself. And so Psalm 19 is King David celebrating precisely this, that God, the God who exists, the God who is there, has made himself known. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the 19th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, meaning the heavens or the skies, in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord God, even here in this psalm, in Psalm 19, we long to see Jesus. So by your Spirit's power, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see his glory. And in this moment that we get to share together this morning, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable, would be pleasing in your sight. Because truly, Father, you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's consider Psalm 19 in four different parts this morning. Uh, God speaks through creation. God speaks through his law. God speaks to us. And then lastly, we speak to God. God speaks through creation. God speaks through his law. God speaks to us. And then we speak to God. So first, God speaks through creation. There's an Old Testament scholar that we'll probably quote several times throughout this series in the Psalms named Michael Wilcock. And he writes this. He says, in modern times, superstitious people hear by way of astrology more than the heavens are actually saying. Secular people hear less than they have to tell. God reveals himself through his creation. What we often might refer to as the natural world is in fact supernatural. It exists because God spoke it, literally spoke it, into existence. We read in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be an expanse. God said, in that expanse, let there be different lights to separate the day from the night. And the echoes, the reverberations of God's voice still sounds in all that he made. And so David begins this psalm by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out what? Speech. It's saying something. Night to night reveals knowledge. And there is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. David is saying here, any willing hearer, any willing observer can perceive something about God and thereby be stirred to search for him simply by listening, simply by paying attention to the beauty and the design of God's world, of this world. Elsewhere, David and other psalmists are going to speak about the stars and the trees and the rocks and the seas and and all living creatures. But here, David focuses on the sun, the sun. The sun is something that has always captivated the attention of humanity. It's been worshipped, actually, by many different tribes and civilizations throughout history. And and though that is wrong, though that we would say we should not actually worship the sun, but the, the one who made the sun, that's actually closer to the truth than the apathy or the indifference or the boredom that many modern people like us tend to respond to the sun with. 
And, and by no means, as I say that, am I promoting uh, an anti-scientific understanding of the world. I'm grateful for how Nate just set us up so well this morning, even offering some of the, the science that's behind the, the, the impossible chances of this existing by, by chance. Honest science actually enhances wonder and awe. It's only when science begins with atheistic assumptions, when it categorically from the start rules out everything supernatural, that science and wonder or that science and worship become incompatible. Scientists themselves have souls. And so it's only when they suppress their souls, when, when any of us would box ourselves into a less than fully human brain on a stick kind of existence that we deny the wonder and the awe that is actually stirred within us when we pause to consider what the sun, for example, is and how nothing on this earth could exist apart from the sun and what it does. So let me encourage you sometime this week, because this is not something that we often do in the course of our busy, ordinary lives, slow down long enough this week to contemplate the sun. Or even better, just to sit in it, bask in it, and absorb some of its rays. See if that doesn't, if you're willing to slow down long enough, see if that doesn't elicit some kind of poetic response in you. If it doesn't bring some kind of song to mind, or if nothing else, if you don't start to feel a whole lot smaller, and, that, and thereby that doesn't start to bring a little bit of perspective into, into your life and in the things that you're facing in your life right in this moment. David is saying here, every day the son is like a groom stepping up to the altar to see his bride for the first time. Every single day, over and over again, he's like a groom who steps up to the altar and then gets that first glimpse of, the, of his bride coming down the aisle. He's saying that the son is then like a strong man that runs its course with joy. And David knew and had some of those strong men as part of his crew. He had some guys on his team that could run as messengers a long way and really fast. He's saying the sun is like that. It runs its course with joy. And that its light and its heat are no respecter of persons. They don't wait for permission. They don't wait for acknowledgement. They give light and heat to, to all. So this is an echo of the voice of God. It's part of what we might call common grace, that, that whether someone acknowledges God's existence or not, everyone enjoys the gifts of his creation and the gifts of his providence. He speaks through his creation, and all people, whether they acknowledge him or not, benefit from that. Years later, the Apostle Paul clearly had this psalm in mind when he wrote the book of Romans. It shows up in multiple ways, which we won't get to look at all of them today. But in chapter 1, Paul writes, What can be known about God is plain to them, meaning, meaning people who have not yet put their faith in him, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul is saying there in Romans 1 that because God speaks through his creation— Humanity is without excuse. Uh, that we're actually not ignorant of God, we are suppressors of God. That we are, we are the ones who turn away from his voice. We turn away from what he has spoken through the world he made. Paul actually later in Romans goes on to quote Psalm 19 verse 4. In Romans 10, and, he, and, and there it's just after he writes that faith comes through hearing. 
And Paul is writing, not all people have understood, but they have heard. They have heard. And so it's not just that God wants to wash his hands and say, hey, no excuses, I've spoken. No, God wants to be understood. He speaks because he wants to be heard. He wants to be understood. He wants people to hear his voice as it goes out through all the earth. He wants people to hear and then to seek and then to find him. And that's why, though God does speak through creation, he speaks even more clearly through his law. So second, let's talk about that, that God speaks through his law. Uh, in verse 7, David starts to talk about the law. And I don't know if it felt this way to you as we read it, but it, it seems kind of abrupt and maybe even completely unrelated. Here's the connection. The connection has everything to do with God's revelation of himself. So creation is what we might call a general revelation of God. That his divine nature, his eternal power, as Paul puts it, uh, can be perceived by all people. God's law is what we would call a specific or a special revelation. Uh, a more clear, a more specific knowledge about who God is and about what he is doing in the world. Something more than can be known or perceived just from creation alone. And David actually conveys this switch by changing the words he uses for God. He, he refers to God in verse 1. It's the Hebrew word El, kind of the word for the creator God. He switches to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh, in verses 7 through 11. So everyone can know something of the glory of the creator by creation. But to know God more fully and specifically, to know him by his more personal covenantal name, Yahweh, he actually has to speak and reveal himself far more clearly than creation itself. And thankfully, that is just what God did through Moses and then later through the prophets. Through, as David recounts here in verses 7 through 11, his testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules, what we often sum up by saying God's law. Now, as Christians, when we hear the word law, we get a little skittish. We get a little, a little antsy, a little anxious. And that's because in the New Testament, law is often juxtaposed, often set up as the opposite of grace. And in terms of how we experience God's salvation, that's completely true. We are not saved by keeping the law. We actually cannot keep the law. We're utterly incapable of doing that. But we have to be careful when we read passages like the Psalms not to read the New Testament, not to read books like Galatians back into what David is writing here. Because to do so is actually to miss how incredible a gift the law of God really is and how incredible a gift the law of God really was. See, God's revelation of himself was progressive. He was progressively revealing himself. He spoke in creation, but he had far more to say than what we could hear in creation. He spoke a promise to Abraham that, that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. But he had far more to say than simply that promise. And so the law was God saying more to his people. It was God revealing more of what he wants us to know, what we need to know about himself. It was God showing us what, what does holiness look like? What does blamelessness actually look like? 
And as, and as God had just set his people free from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the law was God saying to his people, here's now how to live as truly free people who don't enslave yourself again by your own sin, by your own turning away from me. That preamble of the Ten Commandments, which, you know, the Ten Commandments is the central kind of thing in the law that we look to. We always miss the preamble. We always miss those first, that first verse before the actual Ten Commandments are listed out, which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you'll have no gods before me. It's God saying, I'm the one who sets you free. Now live free. Live free. That's the law. This is why David and other psalmists are so grateful for and celebratory of God's law. And if we were to fast forward 100 psalms to Psalm 119, it's by far the longest psalm in this book. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. That chapter itself is longer than even some whole books in the Bible. What is Psalm 119 all about? It's about how incredible God's law is is over and over again in so many different ways and so many different metaphors, the psalmist is saying, I love the law. I delight in it. I long for the law. I cling to it. Give me life according to the law. It's the joy of my heart. It's better than a thousand pieces of gold or silver. So church, we, we don't look to the law to save us, to rescue us from our rebellion against God, from our sin, but learn to love the law of God. Learn to cry out with the psalmist because this is what they are saying when they talk about loving the law. They're saying, let me hear what God will speak. I want to know. Let me know and understand who he is and what his good design for life actually looks like. Even though I am utterly unable to keep the law, even though, like you, the law cannot save me, and when I try to use it that way, when I try to use it for superiority or, or to kind of earn the favor of God, it just crushes me and condemns me with guilt. The law is actually the Lord, the great I am, telling me what is true about himself and what is true about me and my own identity and what is true about how life is supposed to work. So when you hear the word law, um, certainly dis- differentiate it from grace in terms of how we're saved. But let's learn to appreciate it in a way that maybe you have been afraid to, maybe that you never have. We get to say when we think about the law, let this be your first reaction and response. Blessed be God, he did not leave us to ourselves. Through his creation and through his law, he has spoken. He has revealed to us. And he will keep speaking he will keep speaking. What the law, Paul goes on to write in Romans again, weakened by sin could not do, God himself will do for us. In the person of Jesus, he will keep the whole law. And on the cross, even as he takes our sin and our penalty upon himself, he will impart his own perfect record, his own law keeping to us. So let us hear what God will speak because what he speaks to us, he speaks for our life and our joy. What he speaks, he is truly speaking to us, to us. And so third, let's, let's consider that, that God speaks to us. When we zoom out, uh, God's saving work has a universal cosmic scope. He will reconcile the world to himself. He is going to redeem all that sin has corrupted and fractured. As far as the curse of sin is found, that's the same scope of the redemption of God. He's going to buy it all back. 
and return it all to its original goodness that it had when he made it. But when God speaks, he speaks to us. Not so much to the other parts of his creation. As valuable as those other parts of his creation are, he doesn't speak to be heard by the sun or by the moon and the stars or by the rocks or the trees and the blades of grass. He speaks to be heard by you and by me and the other men and women who inhabit this earth. He reveals himself to us and he reveals himself for us, for our benefit. And in the second half of the psalm, David is rejoicing in and celebrating some of those benefits. What are they? Well, God's speech, God's law, but God's speaking to us, revives the soul. Life in this broken world is exhausting. It is wearying. And sin, our own and and other people's sin against us, and all the effects of that sin in this world, it seeks to stamp out the vibrance of a soul that is fully alive in relationship with the God who made it. And so over and over again, our souls need reviving. As the psalmist will ask in Psalm 85, will you not, God, will you not revive us again? And the answer is yes, he will. He will by speaking to us, by revealing himself to us. God's speech makes wise the simple. That's the end of verse 7. And simple here means gullible, easily swayed or misled, which is actually exactly what we are when left to ourselves. We're like ships without an anchor. We're tossed to and fro by every wind and wave. We're susceptible to whiplash, crazy whiplash uh, uh, of people's opinions or cultural trends, or whatever I'm supposed to be enraged about today, or whatever, whatever I'm supposed to give blanket affirmation to tomorrow. But if God speaks to us, it makes wise the simple. It is the anchor that tethers us to God's good design and his plan for, for life and for this world. God's speech rejoices the heart. Uh, There's a unique kind of joy that comes from knowing the God who is there. Or even knowing that God is there. Just that simple fact that God is there, that you are not abandoned, that you are not alone in your life and in this world. It's hard to imagine a more joyless life, actually, than being left to yourself. To, To have to figure out the meaning and the purpose and the pathway of life on your own. But David is rejoicing and celebrating here because God speaks, because God has revealed himself. You don't have to. You don't have to. God's speech enlightens the eyes. Enlightens the eyes. One result of the fall of humanity's rebellion against God is spiritual blindness. We cannot see what we need to see, what we're meant to see. But because God speaks, we who once were blind now can see. We now can see God as he truly is. We can see ourselves as we truly are. We can see this world as it truly is. We can actually see the world as it was truly meant to be and thanks be to God, one day will be. We can see all of that because God has spoken. And all of that then to say, verse 11, God's speech brings great reward. It's, more, it's, it's better, it's more than all of the fine gold in the world. It's sweeter than the honeycomb. Sweeter than that, 
More rich than that is to know the living God and to hear what he speaks. Strip everything else away from our lives and that is enough. It is better to have that and to lose everything else. It would be far worse than having all of these other things, all the riches, all of the things that our hearts seem to want and need in any given moment, but being actually left to ourselves. To know God, to hear his voices is better. So friends, cherish and treasure God's revelation of himself. Celebrate over and over again that he is not only knowable, but that he has made himself known, that he not only speaks, but he speaks to us. And then fourth and finally, we speak to God. We speak to God. As much as Psalm 19 is this celebration of God's revelation, it also here includes David's response his, his words back to God. How should we respond to God's revelation? How should we live in light of all that God has said? You could probably answer that in a hundred different ways, but two things really come to the surface here in Psalm 19. A hunger for holiness and acceptable worship. A hunger for holiness and acceptable worship. So unlike the Pharisees, who generations later would use the law, the same law of Moses, the law of God, for self-reliance, for self-promotion. David here is using the law for self-reflection. He wants to know himself more honestly. He wants to know himself more fully before the face of God. He has a hunger for holiness. He wants God to help him see not only, as he says, his presumptuous sins, those are the purposeful and arrogant kinds of sins where we just we know what God has called us to do, but we just blatantly disregard his ways and, and go our own. That's presumptuous sins. But David says also his hidden faults declare me innocent from the stuff I can't even see that's there. How confident do you have to be in God's goodness, in God's grace, to ask that? To see more of your sin. Most of us would far prefer to live in ignorance of our hidden faults. We'd rather stay blind to, to our blind spots. But as David is celebrating God's revelation, he's so hungry for his life to actually reflect the God who speaks, which means he's hungry for his own holiness because God is blameless and has revealed himself to be the holy and blameless one. David wants to be holy and blameless. He wants to be ruled by the living God, the one true God, not under the dominion of his own sin. Are you hungry for holiness? Are you hungry for holiness? Are you able, even when we take time each week to confess our sins, are you able not only to ask forgiveness for your known and presumptuous sins, are you able to ask God to purify you, to declare you innocent from the hidden ones, to even expose the hidden ones so that you might see them and then ask forgiveness of those as well. Holiness is not, and we see this so clearly in Psalm 19, holiness is not some kind of outdated puritanical superiority complex. Holiness is a humble, embodied invitation to the world that there's an infinitely better way, that there's a more satisfying life to be found. It is Living a holy life is us inviting the people we come in contact with that they don't have to live enslaved to sin anymore, to things that can't satisfy them, to things that destroy them. 
Our holiness reflects and displays the nature and character of God, and it thereby becomes one of the ways that God continually speaks to people in each and every age, in this time and place. He speaks through us as we reflect, as we reflect him. Now, the other way that we live in light of what God has said that David talks about here is acceptable worship. And if you were familiar with any part of Psalm 19, the most famous verse is the last one. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And the word acceptable there in verse 14, that's the language of sacrifice. That's the language of sacrifice. So as far back as Cain and Abel, we learn in Scripture that there are some offerings that are acceptable to God and there are some offerings that are not. And that becomes especially clear and especially pronounced when God reveals his law. Some of you have been reading through the Bible chronologically with us this year. It wasn't so long ago that we were reading through books like Leviticus. And a lot of the laws are laws about sacrifices. Uh, What and how much to sacrifice for different kinds of occasions or different kinds of sin. Again, God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't make his people guess. He was gracious enough to speak and say, well, here's what an acceptable offering is, and then here's what's, what's not. But even in the height of that sacrificial system, King David and others like him recognized it wasn't actually the animals or the grain or the wine or the incense that God was ultimately interested in. What was God interested in? The hearts of his people the hearts of his people. He wanted their hearts. He wanted the relationship with them. And so David says here, let not only my words, which are the observable external expression of the things going on in my heart, but also the meditations of my heart, the unknown, the unobservable things, the words that that no one ever hears. Let all of that be a worthy, acceptable offering. Though it will fall helplessly short of the perfect words that God speaks. Let the words that I speak back to God, that I think about God, be a worthy response. So how incredible is this? We have the ability to speak back to the God who has spoken. We have the ability to speak back to the God who has spoken, to use our mouths and to use our hearts and our minds to think and speak true things, honorable things about him. Our speech can mirror God's, because he has spoken, we can think and speak worthy words. What's even more incredible than that, and what David in his day could hear only a faint whisper of, you and I get to hear and have heard in high definition surround sound. Not only the echoes of God's voice in creation, not only the specifics about his nature and his character and his law, we have heard God sing and shout over us the unimaginable depths of his love and his grace toward us. See, there is amazing beauty in creation. It is God speaking to us. But we needed more than that. There is incredible design. There is incredible guidance in God's law for our lives and for this world. It is God speaking to us, but we needed more than that. And so God kept speaking. He kept speaking. And as the apostle John writes, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
In former times, the author of Hebrews says, God spoke by his law and by his prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? By his son. By his son. Jesus is the apex. Jesus is the pinnacle of God's revelation. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. What creation by itself could not do, what the law by itself could never do, God himself has now done in the life and in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There might be, and on certain days there certainly are, so much more that we want to hear God say. Answers to all the questions that we don't have answers for right now. Clarity about the mysteries and the things that we just can't comprehend how that works. We will want to hear God say more, but there is nothing more we need to hear. Jesus is God's definitive word that not only is he the rock upon which our lives are built, upon which our lives rest, he is the redeemer who will buy back from the power and penalty of sin our own lives as well as all of this world. So let us look to Jesus, even now, even as we prepare to come to this table, let us look to Jesus and hear what God has spoken. Let us rejoice today that God is not distant, he is not unknowable, but he has revealed himself as both our rock and our redeemer. In response to that, may you be hungry for holiness and may the words of your mouth and may the meditation of your heart be acceptable in his sight because in Jesus Christ, they actually can be. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. We praise you, our Father, for making your divine truth real to us in creation and in your law, but ultimately in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for how much we take for granted your revelation of yourself. We can just so quickly assume, presume upon that, skip over that in our lives. We can forget the unbelievable gift that it is that you have not left us to ourselves. You have not abandoned us to figure out this life and this world on our own. Thank you for making your divine truth, your eternal truth real to us in Jesus. And we ask that by your grace to us in him, that what we do and how we live and the way that we love would increasingly be a worthy and acceptable response. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.